and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're doing these twice a month for now. You can catch these podcasts on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and it's also available through the Danfoss Ref Tools app. For the video version, check us out on the Danfoss North America YouTube page. Search for Controller Talk to see our video collection. I'm Dave Yoder, along with Chris Brown. So Chris, not a lot has changed since the last time. Unsurprisingly. Yeah, hopefully Maryland only has two losses in football. Yep. And hopefully um, I'll be wearing a World Series t-shirt thanks to the Phillies win. But that's a little hard to predict at the moment. It's football season. <laughs> that's right. Now this, uh, this podcast is probably going to have something for everyone. There's suspense, uh, yeah, suspense, uh, a little bit of sports. Some drinking. Yeah, some <laughs> drinking, passion, intrigue, the whole thing. So, yeah, buckle up. All right. So, Chris, um, we are going to talk about uh, HVAC stuff here. Um, we're going to kind of expand on uh, some options that you have and uh, talk about a few different things that were in each controller. And... Um, basically at the end we'll cover some tips and tricks and things like that you know all the good stuff yeah. so uh, we're going to cover the basics of uh, the hvac interface and control options and um, answer some burning questions like why won't the ac start why isn't the heat turning on and the most burning question of all what does the status of desired mean that's a that's a common question it is. They just don't phrase it that way. <laughs> All right. So, Chris, in the 255, you had four main options for HVAC control. Now, when you go into the configuration under HVAC, there's some typical things there. Um, it defaults to something called RTU. Right. And that's your it's your main option for your normal rooftop units. So you get fan control, cooling, heating, dehumidification, and a little bit of damper control. Now, if you switch that uh, from RTU to AHU, it's basically the same options, except you pick up an option to do a variable speed fan. Yep. So, word to the wise, if you know you're going to have some variable speed fans, switch it to AHU first, and then you won't regret not doing that. And, and both of these, RTU, AHU, the assumptions that you're controlling with AK2 modules. Just that, that everybody's, is, yeah. Yeah. Good on the point. Same page there. Good point. AK2IO. Yep. Right. And um, so the the thing about the RTU and the AHU is that the software expects that there has to be a fan to move the air. So therefore, there has to be a fan relay. Yep. So if you don't need to control a fan relay, you got to do something about that. Because if you don't assign a fan relay, that's where the problems come in. So... Yep need to be like a commercial where we turn the volume up on that part. That's right. So yeah. Yeah. That's it right there. Flashing lights and everything. Yep. So if you don't need to control a fan relay and you say, I don't need that, and you don't assign a fan relay of some kind, doesn't matter if it's real, if it's a dummy point, whatever, then when it comes time to turn on uh, AC loads, heat loads, whatever, uh, instead of it saying that, okay, we're on, it's just going to say desired. Which is uh, disappointing. What is it going to say again? I didn't catch that. Desired. Okay. Yeah. Um, so 
Desire doesn't get you very far because it doesn't turn the load on and it doesn't really tell you much about why it won't turn the load on. But right. the answer is that you have to go back to your board and points and you got to get something in there for the fan relay. Yep. Um, so it's um, interesting how that question comes up several yep. times a year. Controller knows it wants to do something. It just knows it can't because of right. the relay missing. It's got a requirement there. Yep. yep. All right, so we talked about RTU, we talked about AHU, and now another option is the RTC. So the RTC was an option in the 255, and the idea there was that there, it was a square board, about uh, 12 inches by 12 inches, and it went right in the rooftop unit, and all the inputs and outputs would wire to it. And, of course, it uh, was a TP78 interface to that guy. Yep. And... Um, yeah, it was uh, around for quite a while, but it's been discontinued, and we haven't made that for several years now. Uh, but it has been replaced with a kit, and the kit part number is 080Z2117. So that's 080Z2117, and that kit contains the AK2 boards that you would need to replace the RTC with uh, AK2 boards, along with some wire, some documentation, uh, a power supply that cleans up the 24 volts, and um, yeah, everything there that you would need. And then you just have to go back into the programming and switch that uh, unit from RTC over to RTU or AHU. And then um, before you do, you want to make sure you know what your settings are because uh, once you switch it, then all your settings are just going to jump back to default. Right. And pay attention to the document too. Just th that's a wiring diagram that shows you where we expect the wires to be moved to on the AK2 modules so that when we program it or whoever's going to program it, we already know where everything's landed and there's no guesswork there. Right. So that's uh, RTC. And then uh, when you're when you're in the setup, 255, 800A, 800A, whatever it is, your other option in your HVAC type is going to be generic. And so under generic, you get multiple options um, that you have to pick from. And so once you get into the setup, you're going to see in a drop down these options. Um, we'll touch on each one here now. The, the first one you start out with is a DISTEC thermostat. Um, so not too popular anymore. I don't get a lot of calls or, or hear a lot about them too much, but there was a, a point in time where they were, they were um, just a, a regular thermostat, nothing out of the ordinary from that standpoint where you've got a, some buttons and a, a small display on it to give you some status updates and maybe adjust your set point. Um, but that that's option number one that you're going to see in the setup is this DISTEC device uh, that we saw some of. Yeah, it was pretty popular at the time because it would – Basically, you just bring all your 24-volt control wires right down to that unit and mm -hmm. tie everything in, Y1, Y2, all those usual things. Uh, and then, of course, we interfaced it back to the 255 at that time. And um, we actually have about 32 of those in the office we here do. in Maryland, and they're still working. They seem really reliable. Yep. So that that's one option that you'll see there. The next one's maybe a little bit more popular, especially from a manufacturer standpoint, but when we get into um, into the Lennox rooftop units, and this has gone through um, a process, I guess, over the years, however yep. you want to define it, but back with the 255, the Lennox 
control boards that were in at the time. There was um, IMC board is what it was called. And so you had a small comm module, not a Danfoss comm module, but a small communication card from Linux next to the main control board. And that was our, our gateway per se into those units. Um, really with most of these generic options, it, it's in the same boat where we're, we're not getting into a ton of settings. You're, you're not getting too deep into what all you can configure here. It's some set points. You're getting some alarms out of the unit. It's more on the basic level, um, which is really what most people are looking for in these. Um, but yeah, with the 255s, Linux rooftop units, it had to be this older style with these IMC cards. Uh, when we start getting into M2, M3s, that's not going to work with the 255. Right. Those uh, IMC boards, the idea was that, like most Linux units, they have their own sensor down on the sales floor, their own, and we're just interfacing to it yep. to be able to see what's going on, maybe send it a set point, get some alarms out of it. Exactly. That's the main idea. Yeah. Yep. And then another option you'd see here is with a Munters unit, and it was a Corel controller that went inside of it. Um, but this was kind of option number three with the 255. Again, not one that we hear about too much anymore. It's outdated, um, but it was a setup option you had in the 255, and it, it fits in that same realm. You could adjust some set points. You're getting some alarms out of it, um, but not, not too much more. Right. It was very specific. Mm -hmm. Like if you see a Munters unit with a Corel controller in there, don't assume that it's going to work with this interface because everything was very specific. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's uh, with with any of these generics, it's kind of uh, if you want to relate this back to something like a case controller, um, generic types. You've got uploading, downloading a lot of times, so you always got to pay attention to that with any of these device types too. Is um, and even with the RTC to some extent, you had to init that, but that's always a part of these setups. Is sometimes you have to send settings into these units by using a download function or something similar. Yep. Uh, so then when you start to transition into the 355, the, the next model of system manager that came out after the 255, that's when we started with, with the Linux units specifically, we started to add in, um, some new models. Um, so the Linux Prodigy V1 was added in, uh, there were some MCX options, which is our, our current PLC device that we use and, and for some HVAC applications. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that in a, a minute here, but. Yeah, th th there's some things that you wouldn't start seeing the options for until we transitioned into the 355. Right. Yep. So in, when we got into the 880, that's when we added some more options, like the, uh, the latest version of the Prodigy from Linux uh, was added in there. Um, that's the one that I think that has the black cover. They call it the M2 and the M3s on those, yeah. Yep. Uh, so that one was added in, and um, and then we kind of expanded on the MCX. So the MCX mainly is, uh, it's a whole variety of controllers um, where basically you're buying a piece of hardware with essentially no software application in it uh, other than a few specific part numbers. But um, for the HVAC side, there were um, something called an MCX-08M, and then an 08M2 came after that, but they were for your smaller units, your heat pumps and things like that. And then for larger rooftop units, we had uh, one that's called, a, it's an MCX 
1.5 V2, and um, it's obviously much bigger because it's got uh, more inputs and outputs, and it can handle all sorts of variable things. Like you can have multiple digital compressors, variable speed fan, uh, variable damper, uh, all sorts of things in there. And then what has to go along with that is a software applica application that's basically written from scratch yep. to, um, to do everything you need to turning things on and um, making sure the interface is, uh, is correct. And um, yeah, so it, it can come together as one piece if, if need be. And I think Aeon and, and Seasons 4 are the two that come to mind where you could potentially see these in those units. Right, so, right. Uh, yeah, that's where you'd want to kind of be on the lookout for an MCX. Yeah, that V that 15V2 was kind of nice because you could upgrade that unit with, uh, upgrade the software in it with just an SD card. Yep. Um, so so that's, that's going to carry forward. And the MCX platform is obviously still around and it's still active. Um, but that's when it kind of really came into its own in the 880. Yep. And then, I, I mean, I think on a big picture scale, we, we recognize the HVAC industry is heavily weighted in BACnet. Yep. Um, so we're, we're starting to go down that path to look at some things there, um, what we can and can't interface to and, and how we're going to do it. So we, we know BACnet's there, not ignorant to that fact. So, um, I mean, a lot of RTU, AHU equipment manufacturers, a lot of times they prefer to have the controller they're already installing in their units. Maybe it's their own in-house unit. Maybe it's just something that they, that's mature with them and they're comfortable with. Um, but uh, we see a lot of that where they prefer maybe that we interface with what's already in place and, instead of trying to take it over. Um, and so, I, I mean, some of them have a, a thermostat mode and, and whether that's interfacing through the back net connection or whether that means we have to go through AK2 IO modules um, to, to put it into a mode for heat, cooling, dehumidification, whatever that is. Um, we're, we're trying to stay f as flexible as we can. Um, and we know that BACnet's part of that. So, yeah, it's um, something we're aware of there. Yep. All right. So if um, I, I think it would be a good time to cover some general uh things that you need to know about the overall HVAC control. And, and most of this will apply to the RTU and the AHU options yep. and um, just some general things to know. So we'll run down the list here. Um, for one thing, if you try to overlap settings uh, in the wrong direction, like if you have the AC set lower than the heat, um, the controller will either warn you or not allow it or both, but um, it will usually tell you that, hey, you're kind of going in the wrong direction with points here. Right. Um, on the outdoor ambient temperature side of things, you can use that to lock out your heat, your cooling, or your dehumidification, uh, but you don't have to if you don't really want to. Uh, in some cases, it makes sense not to, but you can do that. And if you've got something that won't run, that's one of the things you want to look at is, hey, what's my outdoor ambient reading? Yep. Uh, on the dehumidification section, um, when we turn on dehumidification, it's not automatically going to turn on heat. Um, so if you take 50 HVAC guys, um, 51 of them might say that you need heat to get rid of moisture and the other 49 will say that's wrong. 
But um, the way ours works is that just because you turn on dehumidification, you're not automatically turning on heat. Uh, typically, heat will only turn on if you allow it and if the sales temp or what we call zone temp gets low enough to bring the heat on. And also with dehumid, we've got different options there, and some will bring on the cooling, the compressors that are set up for the cooling, and some won't, depending on what option you choose there. So right, something to pay attention to, too. Yep. All right. So um, on some of the Seasons 4 units, some of the bigger ones, the uh, AC compressors came uh, set up with a common suction header pretty much just like a regular refrigeration compressor rack. And occasionally when they were under low load, they were prone to oil fails. So it's um, not out of the question to uh, do a few things to alleviate that. So um, you could, you can control those obviously with a uh, suction transducer and it's possible to run a lower suction target when you're only calling for one stage AC and then and as you call for stage two, then you can go back to your normal target. And that can uh, prevent some of those oil fails that were, they were, were common to happen. So it's not that difficult to set up. It's just basically setting up auxiliary uh, set points in the rack portion if the compressors are set up that way. All right. Unit heaters are, are not uncommon to see some unit heaters set up under the HVAC section, typically not controlling the fans in a unit heater, right? right. So we, we go back to, uh, what's the status again? Desired. That's it. Yep. Um, but you need to, uh, uh, same thing applies here. You've got to put some type of a fan relay. So typically it's going to be something that doesn't physically exist, a, a virtual point. Got to put that into your fan relay in the setup or else it won't bring on the heat when sensor drops below uh, your set point there. And then you can uh, you can set up a compressor room fan if you've got some type of an exhaust fan in the machine room. Um, you can set it up different ways. So maybe some people want to stick it under miscellaneous. They want to include some logic with a, a leak detector or something, but you could also set it up under the HVAC section and just set up a stage of cooling for it if you wanted to. Um, again, you'd, you'd need a fan relay of some kind in there, um, but you, that's one option, especially if you're just looking to have it temperature controlled and, and nothing else kind of tied to it. Uh, on these, the, the sensor readings, we, we've obviously got some different sensors that you can have, zone, supply, return. If the zone temp reads outside of uh, an expected range for the sensor type that you're using, um, then you'll see zero degrees is what, what's going to be displayed as the zone temp. I yep. think the only caveat to that is if you do have a return sensor, I think it defaults to either using that for control and displaying it or just using it for control. Yeah, it can use that yeah. return sensor instead, which will uh, really confuse you if you're not expecting that. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so, and then you can also, if you've got a, some type of an exhaust fan in a compressor room or a machine room, you can set that up under the HVAC section too. You can set it up other sections, miscellaneous, if you've got some other logic, like a leak detector you want to tie into it, but you can also set it up under the HVAC, especially if you've just got a, um, temperature, temperature is all you're really worried about to turn it on and off. Uh, same deal here. <clears throat> You've got to have some type of a fan relay in the setup if you're putting it under the HVAC section. Uh, so you want to pay attention to that. And then if you're looking at any of these units that are set up with IO modules and you see a zone temperature of zero degrees, um, 
that means that we're reading outside of whatever the expected range is for that sensor type. So if on the off chance you have a return sensor also being used, it, I think it defaults to that. But otherwise, if you're just seeing the zero degrees in there, that means that that zone sensor is not reading and, and you might have to dig into the service screen um, to see what your resistance looks like and, and do some more troubleshooting there. Right. Yep. Uh, dehumidification. Um, typically, we control it on dew point. You could just go straight off of relative humidity if you wanted to, but most people we see using it in their setup, they're doing it with dew point using a humidity sensor and a temperature and, and calculating it. Um, so it's calculating those two automatically. You can just assign the two in, in the program individually as a humidity and a, a temp sensor, and the controller's automatically going to calculate that for you. There's nothing extra you, you have to do for that to take place. Yeah, I'm a big fan of dew point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's typically more stable than uh, relative humidity anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, when you look at the case side, we know that that's typically what people are using to control their anti-sweat heaters on their doors. Yep. So, yeah, I agree. And then calibration. I mean, obviously, we want to make sure these sensors, they're in the right place where they're picking up the temperature we expect it to. Um, and then that, sure, they, they may have to be calibrated in a few degrees or a few percentage points on the RH one way or the other, up or down. So just always important to keep that in mind is you may have to calibrate these sensors as well. Yeah, maybe calibrate them once a year yeah. on average yep. would be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, we know, we've seen in the past people mounting them on columns in the store and, and the hole that was drilled in the column to mount it, it was actually picking up temperature from inside of that and yeah. way off from what the actual reading should have been. Right. Um, and then most fans, uh, if you're using a fan-proof input, we'll lock out the, the fan relay. Um, 80 seconds is what we're looking at. So if we don't see proof after we call for the fan, um, we're going to lock out after 80 seconds. And depending on what we have enabled, that could lock the fan out. That could just lock out heating and cooling while we continue to call for the fan. Um, but 80 seconds is kind of the time there for that proof. And then if you want to restart the fan, if that is what's locked out after a proof failure, um, you want to set it to manual on, set the fan to manual or the proof to manual on until the fan proof is good. And then um, newer software is going to let you set what that delay time is. Yep. All right. All right, Chris. Well, that covers most of the HVAC stuff uh, that people need to know, I think. And uh, we'll move on to uh, Stump Chris and see if we can throw a question at you that you may or may not know the answer. But I got to say, I think this is a softball. I'll take it. Okay. Uh, so question this time is uh, regarding uh, the HVAC stuff. And we're talking about uh, heating and cooling. Is it actually possible in the controller to proof those stages? To proof the stages of heating and cooling? Yes. It yeah. is. It is actually, it is. yeah. I don't know of anyone that's done it, but it is. Yeah, I've seen it every once in a while, but it's not uh, super popular, yeah. probably just because of the, the labor required to hook it all up, but it'd be pretty handy to have. Yeah. Most most people just look at the supply temp and go from there, but uh, but yeah, it is possible to do that in the controller. I've got a on-the-spot quiz question for you, too. Uh-oh. Um, under, because this could help some guys out there trying to understand why a status on a unit is the way it is, but under the dehumidification section, mm -hmm. there is a cooling low limit. 
setting. Yes, yes. What's the relevance there? Uh, the, you're asking me because you know the answer. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, the cooling low limit under dehumidification is looking at the zone temp. So the idea is that you set that as basically the, the lowest reading you want to see on the sales floor before you shut off the dehumidification. And then uh, if we do get that low in the sales floor, then we need to back off the dehumidification and let the, the space temp come up before we can restart that. Yeah. So if guys are seeing a high humidity and, and maybe the dew point calculations above set point, but the dehumid's still not on, that's the first place you want to check and see if we're locked out because it's too cold in the space. Yep. One okay. for one. Way to go. go. One for one. <laughs> Told you it was easy. Our next uh, item is going to be a question for you that uh, maybe I should have told you about ahead of time, but it's more fun this way. So we're going to move on to listener mail. And our mail this time is from uh, Steve from right here in Street, Maryland, okay. just, just up the road. So um, anybody that's opened up a new box um, for a combo module knows that there's an extra little bag in there. Hmm. And um, he wrote in to ask, uh, okay, what's the story here? Because you get this little bag of resistors, nobody ever seems to use it, and they just chuck it. Um, so what's the story and why is it even included in there? Are they 40, not that this was the question, but are they 47,000 ohm? I think they resistors? are a 47K yeah. resistor, yeah. yeah. Um, so my understanding is we're using them to not that they're always needed, but they can be used to study the signal from a pressure transducer in particular. Okay. Um, but that, yeah, they're not the end of line resistors. You don't want to stick them there. That is for sure. Uh, but that's my understanding is they're used to, to help with a transducer reading that may be fluctuating or not accurate. Yep. We might actually have to research this one and come back and do a follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, we want to make sure that we get the, to the bottom of this one. It's a burning question. A little bit of homework never hurt anybody. That's right. They make a terrible Christmas gift, <laughs> just so you know. All right. If you'd like to drop us an email with a suggestion for topics to cover, a question, or comment, uh, you can email us at ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. That's ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. Thanks for listening. Our studio and video engineer is anchored by Michael, don't call me Mike Beckerman. Our audio engineer is the man behind the curtain himself, Raul Garcia. And the glue that holds it all together is the newest member of our crew, Maria. Until next time, for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool.